first time, it could be your hundredth time here, but you're ready to kind of cross that line and become a member of the Preston Crest family, be here for this. We do it about every three months, so it'll be, I think we have one more left in 2016, but there's one next weekend. We have uh, lunch, we have a good time, we'll have you home before the Cowboys game uh, kicks off, and uh, so be here for that. You can sign up online, register, or you can call the office and register as well. There's information in the bulletin about that. Uh, you can follow along this morning in the bulletin. There's a sermon outline as we continue the different series. Also, Version is an app, free app for your phone or mobile device. You can look us up under events, Preston Crest, and there's a sermon outline there as well. Glad that you're here. Um, most of you all know that my family lived in Rio for 10 years. We were church planters in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Got to go back there a few weeks ago. Had a great time there visiting old friends and being at the church and getting to uh, knock the rust off of our Portuguese a little bit. But if you live in Rio, you, you definitely get an appreciation for the beach. And you probably have kind of a power ranking in your head of the top beaches. There's like 30, 40 beaches there. Um, probably our favorites are... I mean, our real favorites are, are some of the more remote ones. There's Prainha, which is a surfer beach, but it's a great place to hang out. On past that, this little road takes you out to Grumari, which is a very isolated, natural, uh, beautiful beach, but we didn't have a car this time. So we went to the one that was closest to our house when we lived there, which is also one of our favorites called the Baja. It's about three miles long, wide, beautiful beach. But anyway, so Isla and I, we rented, there was some old guy named Fernando there that was renting out umbrellas and chairs. So for like $3, we rented a couple of beach chairs and sat there and watched the kids who started out doing sandcastles and just playing with the sand out there near the ocean. And then they kept moving. And this is what they always do. They keep moving closer and closer to the water. Now, this is wintertime in South America, so it was a chilly 85 degrees, I think, um, yeah, that's, that's winter in Rio, right? So they get, they get in the, those cool waters, and then we're just kind of reading and taking naps while we kind of every once in a while see what they're doing, and they're getting further and further out. Eventually, they got all the way in, and they're swimming around. They're totally immersed in this water, and, you know, they're having a good time. Well, maybe 45 minutes to an hour later, I kind of looked out there, didn't see them anywhere. Uh, they had just disappeared from sight but I got to tell you, we were not worried because we have been to this beach a long, uh, a lot of times, and we know how it works. There is not only the, the waves coming in, but there is a current moving up the beach as well. Um, Glenn, what do you call that you told me after first service? A longshore current. So there's a longshore current that's moving left to right up the beach, and we knew they had been moved over time. The, the currents had just moved them along. Sure, sure, sure enough, probably a quarter of a mile up the beach, they were up there, and then eventually they came back. And, but but what, I, what that got me to thinking about was there are, at the beach, there are currents uh, all over the place, currents that you can see, you know, the waves that are coming in, there are currents that you don't see, the longshore current, the undertow that pulls back out to sea, and I think the same thing is true in the atmosphere in which we live. Your workplace, your family, your neighborhood, your school, um, your associations with people in different groups, their Netflix, I mean, social media, whatever it is, there are a lot of different currents, um, good, bad, or neutral that tend to pull us in different directions. And, and if you're not paying attention, if you don't know who you are and where you're going, you can actually begin to 
drift, like my kids did. You can just kind of drift off without, without ever trying to do that or making a decision to do that. It just kind of naturally happens. Now, we know in life, in fact, this is kind of some of the language that business uh, scholars use now. They call it mission drift, like when a business or a college kind of loses sight of its original purpose, like when McDonald's started serving salads. That's mission drift. That's not who they are. They're not supposed to be a health food place. Or, or like when Michael Jordan, remember, he quit basketball and became a baseball player. And thankfully for all of us who love basketball, he came back because that's who he is. He's a basketball player. Or mission drift, like when the pharmacies started, started selling cigarettes up at the front counter. That's mission drift. You're supposed to be helping people get healthier, you know, not clog up their lungs and stuff. But it happens to businesses it happens to people, it happens to churches, um, it happens to, to even universities. Let me tell you about a university that, uh, you have probably heard of this university before, I'll tell you which one it is in a few minutes. Uh, in fact, I know you've heard of this university. Here is the mission statement that this university began with. Here goes. To be plainly instructed and considered Consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Let me read that one again. The mission statement of this university was this. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. The university, when it started out, it employed exclusively a Christian faculty, Christian professors... It looked to instill in its curriculum the character of Christ in those young students. And a big part of the mission of this university was to equip and train ministers to preach the gospel. All right? Well, also when you graduated from there, back in the day, every diploma had a Latin phrase on it that meant truth for Christ and the church. You have heard of this university. It is Harvard University. It was started in 1636, um, and it was started by pastors and clergy to help strengthen the church, to help strengthen the Christian faith. About 80 years after Harvard was founded, another group of clergy in New England decided Harvard has drifted. It's gotten off course. So let's start another university that will be true to those guiding Christian principles. So they started Yale University. All right? Well, I don't need to tell you that Harvard and Yale remain places of academic excellence and distinction, but they are no longer known as being Christian universities. They had clear goals in the beginning. Uh, and they do a great job at the first half of academic excellence, but they sort of lost that second half, right? Well, I'm not here to pick on universities today. I'm here to talk about what we already know, how this can happen, right, in life. Um, you can drift off course without actually having decided, I'm going to drift off course. It just kind of happens, and there are these currents at work all around me, all around you, that are pulling us in different directions. So we started this series different because normal isn't working. Um, we're going to read in Leviticus 19 how God was sharing with his people throughout the Old Testament 
that these currents are going to be at work. Pay attention. Know who you are. Know that you belong to me. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 4. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites. Say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. Don't carry those customs with you. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. So the Lord basically comes to his people and fires this warning shot. He says, look, there were currents, there were influences at work when you were in Egypt trying to draw you away from me, draw you into idolatry, draw you into the values of that place. And there are going to be currents at work in the promised land as well. Um, So be aware of that. Know who you belong to. You're mine. I bought you. (laughs) I redeemed you out of slavery in Egypt. I have beautiful plans for you. Don't drift away from me. Well, we know historically they did. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 12. It's exactly what happened. You will know that I am the Lord, for you have not followed my decrees or kept my laws, but have what? You have conformed. You have conformed to the standards of the nations around you. You have melded into those norms and values in the culture around you. So Israel, they had this crystal clear picture originally of who they were, chosen people, God's elect, those who had been rescued from slavery, those who were chosen to model this relationship. Here's what it looks like, world, to live in a covenant relationship with God. Here's what it looks like, world, to know that you are loved by God and to love God in return. You're going to display that to the rest of the world so that people can be drawn to me. That's who they were supposed to be. And I don't think they ever purposefully or intentionally chose to leave God. It was never like, you know, I think I'm just going to from here on abandon God. I don't, think they, I don't think it was like that. I don't think the leaders of Israel, like the 12 tribes, the leaders got together and had a vote. Should we remain faithful to God or should we follow other gods? Let's follow other gods. I don't think it worked like that, and I don't think it works like that for us either. It just happens. It just happens. It is the normal state of things for these currents to pull people off. So write this down on your outline this morning about being different. I am to live in the world without the world living in me okay there are kind of these two extremes for believers for let's say religious people one of them is oh the world is a dangerous place the world is an unbelieving place so i'm going to go up into a cave or a monastery or a nunnery, or a seminary, and I'm just going to kind of lock myself up. I'm not going to have a TV or a radio or get on social media. I'm just, this one's not very popular, by the way, but it is an alternative that some people 
choose, but that's not what God has called us to do. We are supposed to live in the world. We are supposed to be salt and light. What good is salt if it's over here when your food is here, right? I mean, it's supposed to be in there. It's supposed to be mixing with it, right? Well, there's that alternative. The other alternative, the other extreme, is just to be assimilated. Or as that verse said in the, from Ezekiel, to, to conform. Instead of transforming, to be conformed to the environment around you. Now, Peter understood this. He said in 1 Peter 1.17, Live your lives as strangers here. Aliens, foreigners, outsiders. Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now, Peter loves these folks, these sisters and brothers in Christ. He wants them to understand, here's who you are. God bought you out of slavery to sin. Through the blood of Jesus, he redeemed you so that you could be free to be his and to be who you are always meant to be. So he's reminding them of that identity. Like the song says, this world is not my home. I am just a passing through. Know that this place is temporary. This is a layover. This is a stopover. This is not your permanent address, believers. And so, in the New Testament, we have these descriptions of what are God's people like. And we have this beautiful description in Hebrews chapter 11, talking about Sarah and Abraham and Enoch and Abel and these folks, Noah, these folks who lived by faith, what was their relationship like to those different cultures, to those different places? Hebrews 11, verse 13, they acknowledged, so they, they knew this, they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Okay? They knew this is not permanent. They knew they were headed somewhere else. They were citizens of heaven. They belonged to the eternal kingdom of God, and they walked by faith, believing that, knowing who they were, knowing who they belonged to, knowing where they were headed. And if they had not, let me suggest, because the theme of chapter 11 is faith, right? If they had not had this conviction based on faith, I have no doubt they would have been pulled away into customs and values of the groups of the peoples around them. So here's the thing about this drift that happens so naturally, so normally. Write this down. Drift, it is normal. It is natural. We're not saying it's good or right, but it is normal and natural to drift toward the values of the world and away from God. In other words, unchecked, if you just kind of live your life thoughtlessly, you're just kind of a pinball bouncing around between different interests and likes and whatever kind of scratches your itch at the moment, if you just kind of live your life that way, you will naturally tend to move away from God. Drift is normal. It's really automatic. Um, if you don't choose to anchor into Christ, all right? A few months ago, um, 
well, not a few months ago, a few months after we moved back from Brazil. So we've been there for 10 years. We moved back here, been here for a few months. I saw an old friend, a Christian brother, um, and we were catching up. And and it was funny because as we're like walking away from each other, he he says, hey, Gordon, and I turn around and he says, keep it weird, right? Now, I'm not sure exactly what he meant by that, but I'm going to interpret that in a good way. Uh, Weird in a good way. Keep it different, all right? Bring some of that spirit of, of mission to Preston Crest. And so I think that's the message, really, if you want to boil it down, the message of Peter to these Christians who had been scattered around the Roman world is, guys, keep it weird. Be strangers. Be exiles. Be outsiders because you need to know where your identity really is. And it's not as a Roman. It's not as a Galatian. It's not in any one of these kind of cultural identifications. It is as a child of God. Keep it weird, Peter says. Keep it weird. Be that chosen people that represent life and light in a world that is full of death and darkness. And so as we close out chapter 1 this morning, Peter is going to give us four kind of anchor points that we can tie into that will help us when the waves and currents are trying to pull us off course. The last one we talked about a lot last week, so we won't talk about it a lot this morning, but it is hope. It's hope. We have a very special hope. Think about it. The founder of our faith was killed but did not remain dead. He was raised from death to life, appeared to over 500 people, and changed the world. There is hope there. When Jesus not only was killed for our sins and buried in the ground, but raised to life, Jesus was, and he did this a lot in his life, when he walked on water, when he healed the sick, um, when he cured the blind, He was, ultimately, when he did those things and was raised to life, he was kind of opening the curtain and giving us a little peek. This world is not all there is. And he ascends to heaven, pointing the way toward this eternal, greater world that we are a part of. So hope. As a believer, I tie into a powerful hope knowing that God's promises are guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. If he can make a dead person alive, he can fulfill any promise he has made to us. So we have this hope, and it's based on Jesus. Verse 21, through Christ, you have, this this is anchoring language. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and gave him great glory. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So I guess the question about this hope is, is that describing you? Are you this kind of person who has put your trust, your faith, your hope in Christ? Is that you? Um, have you tied into that hope based on the facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that preview of coming attractions? Well, 
It's one of the, this hope. It's one of the reasons we gather to worship every Sunday morning. It's one of the reasons we break bread together. We are singing songs this morning together. We're opening God's word together to rekindle that hope, to not lose hope, to cling to it. This life is not all there is. It just isn't. There is eternity coming, and eternity has been born into this place through the resurrection of Jesus. He did pull the curtain back. He has shown us a little bit of what is to come. And those miracles that Jesus performed, they were little divine interruptions in this world that we see at work, where people get sick, where people die, where suffering dominates for a lot of people. He just kind of poked that reality and said, that's not all there is. There's something different. And his resurrection is the ultimate kind of proclamation of that. So hope is an anchor. The other one, and this is a huge one in 1 Peter chapter 1, it is holiness. It is the holiness of God. We tie into the unchanging holiness of God. I anchor my identity in the holiness of God instead of the idols that surround me. And we are surrounded. Idols are anything that people choose to hand over the affections of their heart to, anything that people choose to ultimately trust in that is not the God of the universe. You can... You can idolize beauty. Our culture does. You can idolize money, power, success, achievement, athletic achievement. You can idolize, you can idolize just about anything. And we are called to anchor not into any of those things. Some of those things are good things, but they are not God things. We anchor into the holiness of of God. Verse 15 says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. If you are a believer, those words are for you. Be holy in all that you do. Seek to be righteous. Seek to be honest. Seek to be a person of integrity. Seek to be good. Seek to be distinct, separate, set apart in a culture that is morally adrift. By the blood of Jesus, your sins have been washed away. And you, by the Spirit of God, have this new identity. Live in that. Are you going to be mistake-free for the rest of your days, never sinning, never never blowing it. Of course not. Peter, who wrote this book, was hardly a mistake-free person. Paul was not a perfect person. But they knew that the holiness of, of God had been given to them through the gift of the sacrifice of Jesus. And they weren't going to waste that. They were determined to personally and to encourage in others growing up into that amazing gift of the holiness of God. So let's, let's just call something out here. The, the little switcheroo that we see happening sometimes, even in churches sometimes, it's about this question. So ultimately, is God's greatest desire for me 
for me to be happy or holy? Happy or holy? C.S. Lewis was asked one time, which of the world's religions would bring the greatest happiness to its followers? His answer was surprising. The Oxford professor answered like this. He said, while it lasts, the religion of worshiping oneself is the best. He said, I have an elderly acquaintance who has lived the life of unbroken selfishness and self-admiration from his earliest years. And he is, more or less, I regret to say, one of the happiest men I know. Then Lewis continued. He said, I haven't always been a Christian. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. He said, if you want religion to make you really comfortable, I certainly do not recommend Christianity. Wow. I appreciate that level of honesty from C.S. Lewis. He's spot on. It's not that God wants you to be unhappy. It's not that he delights in your misery or the difficult circumstances you find yourself in. It's just that as 1 Peter 1.15 says, God has called you to be holy as I am holy, he says. Be holy as I am holy. I'm your father. You're my child. Grow up to be more and more like me, good like me, loving like me, forgiving like me, righteous like me. Get clear on that. Tie into that, the holiness of God. So anchors of hope, anchors of holiness. Also, a couple of more before he finishes, finishes chapter 1. There is the anchor of harmony. Harmony with brothers and sisters in Christ. I connect. This is one of the... Look, when life gets tough, when you are in, a, in that, the harbor that is your life, and the hurricane hits, and the waves start rocking you around, and you feel like you're not going to be able to stay afloat, this is one of the anchors you're really going to need. Harmony, I connect to other Christians with an uncommon love. Talk about that, un before we go on here, let me just talk about that uncommon love for a second. The world, uh, uh, the love that we are most accustomed to or that we hear most about, radio, TV, whatever, that we just kind of experience around us, love is basically like liking something a whole lot. I mean, you like it, oh, you, oh, you really like it, and at some point, bing, it's love. Okay, you cross the line. Now we love each other, right? It's just like a serious, serious liking. Okay, love is not like that. At least divine love is different. Um, check this out. Verse 22, you can have true love, so there's a different kind of love. You can have true love for your Christian brothers and sisters, so love each other deeply with all your heart. Is it easy or hard to love other people? That depends. That depends. The more you get to know them, 
The more you do life together, the more you share, the more they know you. I mean know you. Know your weaknesses, know your failures, know about your short temper, know about whatever it is. It gets harder, right? I mean, I don't have any issues with the cashiers at Walmart. I see them every couple of weeks when I go to buy stuff. We've never had a fight. We must be in love. No. I don't even know those people. I mean, I love them in the name of Jesus, but I don't really know them. Now, if you're married, it gets hard. It gets, I mean, think about marriage for a second. Wow. I mean, we did, I did a wedding ceremony up in Corinth for Abby Barth and for Eric Dallager yesterday afternoon. Beautiful wedding. They went, to, they went through Together Forever with us a while back. But anyways, one of the moments, you know, we, got, we wanted to get pictures of this was signing the marriage certificate. Think about that for a second. A marriage certificate, this one was issued by Collin County. A legal certificate recognizing this relationship that doesn't exist for any other relationship. You choose one person, and they choose you out of everybody in the world, and you say, this is the person I'm going to have a covenant with. We're going to get a legal document making this official, protecting this, guarding this. And I think it shows you a lot about our human weakness, how often marriages fail, right? How often divorces happen. I mean, you chose that person out of everyone in the world. Okay, this person I'm going to love. This person I'm going to go to the I'm going to go to the county clerk and we're going to pay and we're going to have and we're going to get signatures and it's going to be it's going to be registered with the government. It's hard. I mean, Isla, we've had some we've had some good fights over the years. It's tough sometimes. But it's different when it's real love. It's different when it's love as God loves us. Because it's not just, wow, I really, really, really like you. I think I love you. You don't choose what you like. How many of you guys like chocolate ice cream, all right? Lots of us like chocolate ice cream. I think you'd be crazy not to like. But you didn't sit down and say, hmm, I shall choose to like this. No, you just like it, all right? Um, But love, you choose to love. It's a choice. And the deeper you go in community with people, um, the more beautiful it is. And in some ways the harder it is, too, because you're committed to each other no matter what. I mean, if you've ever gone off to college and gotten one of those luck-of-the-draw roommates, you know that gets kind of hard. It's challenging because you're there in that 13-by-13-foot room, and you've got to make it work. Well, in church, we are the family of God. Peter said it. You are sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus. And I hear people, I mean, this is a popular thing these days, um, I hear people tell me all the time or say, I love Jesus, I just can't stand the church. Or something like that. A church isn't for me. Well, I get it. Okay, let me just say, before I, before I debunk that a little bit, let me just say, I do get that at one level. At, at church, at any church, you will find this mosaic of people and personalities. You will find affinity 
for some of those, you will not find affinity for other of those people and personalities. You won't necessarily like everyone. And maybe that's part of the genius of church. God never called us in the church, the body of Christ. He never called us to like each other. It's really cool when we do, I'll confess. But he never called us to like each other. He called us to love each other. And you don't have to like someone to love someone. You don't choose it. I mean, you do choose to love, which is different from just liking someone. Well, you can't really do the Jesus thing without being part of the church because the Bible calls it the body of Christ. Um, it's a place where we live out his teachings in, in living color. <laughs> I mean, the ups and downs, the flesh and blood reality of doing life with a group of people. Now, we may not always agree with each other. We may not always um, get along or like what the other person is doing or something, but we are called as the family of God to live in this forgiveness, in this patience, in this kindness. We are called to live in this peace with each other because the Prince of Peace, Jesus, gave us this peace through his bloody blood that was shed on the cross. And so we anchor into that. And we live in harmony with each other. The final anchor that, that Peter is going to talk about in this chapter. So we've talked about the hope, the holiness, the harmony. Well, this one is the holy scriptures. Peter is going to wrap up chapter 1 by saying, anchor into the word of God. Look, culture, values, what's new, that stuff is changing all the time. Very short shelf life on that stuff. The Word of God is unchanging. You can anchor into it. Um, he says this. Well, let's start this. I seek to live under the influence of God's Word, not the passing currents of culture. Verses 23 to 25. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring Word of God. For all... This is quote, a quote from Isaiah. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of God endures forever. Scripture. Anchor into Scripture. Every day, when I open God's word, it's pretty cool. My Father speaks to me. I speak to my Father. Every day when I open His Word, God is speaking into my life, into my situation. He's affirming me. He's blessing me. He's challenging me. He's calling me out on some things. And I anchor into that. Look, there are, I think we would agree, there are a lot of voices that we hear throughout a given week. Voices that we hear at work or school or neighborhood voices or social media voices, uh, cable TV voices, Netflix voices, whatever. Voices that we hear that are pulling us this way, that are pulling us that way. There is a voice we can hear that is, that is absolutely unchanging that you can count on no matter what. It is the voice of God. 
the Word of God. And I am proud of Preston Crest this year. I mean, we got that big banner back there, and hundreds of us basically said, look, I'm in. I'm all in this year. And that means we're going to read through the one-year Bible together. Some of us are a little ahead. Some of us are a little behind. But it is so cool. And I hear every week stories. People tell me, oh, man, did you read that psalm or that story about that person? I'd never noticed that before. And that is exactly what I'm dealing with right now. I mean, God spoke to me through that, and it's so cool. Uh, by the way, if you fall behind, not a problem. If you're brand new here, all right, you've just shown up at Prescott for the first time, you can join us in All In. I mean, we're already in September, but just get that one-year Bible or download that version app and look that up and start where we are right here. And then when we finish out in December, you can just keep right on going next year and finish out the reading through the Bible in a year. Um, but we would love to have you join us on that journey because... I promise you, if you get in the habit of reading God's Word regularly, you will be blessed. It's a certainty. Um, the currents of our culture, look, they change, or as, as Peter says here, quoting Isaiah, they wither, they fade, they fall to the ground. Um, we as believers, we find ourselves living in two worlds. We work here, all right? Um, we... We pay our taxes here, um, hopefully. We play here. We enjoy the world that our Father has made. Um, but we know that the world we really belong to is not this one. It's the kingdom of God. And this world, God loves this world. John three sixteen, right? God so loved the world. He sent His Son. We know that. God loves this world enough to send His Son to save this world. God loves this world enough to save you and call you to be holy and different, part of His chosen people, so that the world can see what redemption looks like, what grace looks like, what something different and better looks like. Let's bow our heads. I want to finish this time with a prayer. Holy, holy, holy God, draw us near to you. Anchor us into your good, loving, gracious heart and keep us from drifting away. Keep us from being swept along by the currents of values and priorities and ideas that simply don't honor you. Anchor us to you through the hope that we have in Christ. Anchor us to you by the holiness that is the core of your character. And anchor us to you through the love that we share as sisters and brothers in Christ. And finally, anchor us into your mission, into your dream for us as we devote ourselves to your word and obedience to your word. This is our prayer in Christ this morning. Amen. Maybe you need prayers over something that you're dealing with in your life. We'd be happy to pray with you this morning. Um, maybe you're ready to say yes to Christ and to move into that living hope that we have through Jesus Christ. However you need to respond to the Lord, be standing with us.
and respond as we sing together. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He's not- 